When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. President Trump tweeted on Friday about your state, quote, liberate Michigan. His tweets to, quote, liberate Michigan. Liberate Minnesota. Liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia. Liberate Virginia, Michigan, and Minnesota from stricter rules on social distancing. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C., Across the country, protests are popping up in both red and blue states. As President Trump continues to encourage the protests, some governors have different ideas. First of all, I understand the frustration among the people that uh, that want to get things open right away. I'm frustrated also. I mean, I wish I had someone to protest to, but the president's policy says you can't start to reopen under his plan until you have declining numbers for 14 days, which those states and my state do not have. Uh, so then to encourage people to go protest the plan that you just made recommendations on on Thursday, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. That was Republican Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, you heard right there. Joining me now for more on this tension between the governors and the president, between the public health officials and the protesters, is CNN senior political writer Zach Wolf. Zach, thanks so much for being here. Last week, you wrote an article for CNN.com under the headline, The Social Distancing Deniers Have Arrived. What do you mean by social distance deniers? That that headline came about after I had spoken with um, our colleague Jeff Zeleny. He had just been in Michigan reporting there about the Democratic governor who was encountering this very loud protest about her stay-at-home order, her request, an order to Michigan residents that they should not go outside. So a bunch of people there who um, Jeff said it's it sort of reminded him of the kind of crowd you might have seen at a Tea Party rally in 2010 or, um, you know, maybe even at one of President Trump's rallies, sort of people that are very skeptical of the government circling. And you could hear them from her office, from, from the government governor's office, these people uh, honking horns and driving around and, and basically saying we shouldn't be social distancing. Yeah, we've seen these protests uh, in a bunch of places, not just Michigan. Jeff was on the podcast on Friday talking about it, but it's not that they are necessarily denying the need for social distance in some way. They are protesting the noose around the economy by needing to employ these social distancing and mitigation efforts that are that are underway, right? I mean, they're, they're not denying that the virus can spread if people are indeed living their lives as they normally would, as much as I think they're giving a sense, and obviously from polling it is a minority, this is not the majority point of view, is that the the economy cannot be on hold forever, right? 
I, I think that's right. However, I do think that when you have people, I mean, the opposite of social distancing is a protest. So these people are saying, essentially, we are willing to be together and allow this virus, despite what all the experts say, to travel and, and be vectors. And it doesn't matter so much about, you know, shrinking the curve and saving hundreds, potentially hundreds of thousands of lives as it does to, you know, be living our lives. And that is a question you see. And I I think these kind of protests don't happen. You know, there's something there that I think we all have to pay attention to, even if it is a loud minority of people that's doing these protests. I think that they only spring up when there is something else there that we need to really think about. And clearly, I think the government needs to do a better job Um, or find out how to do a better job explaining why the social distance is necessary to make people, you know, continue to be okay with it. Because it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. The frustration with it is only going to, to grow. And if we're already dealing with the backlash in this kind of very loud way, and by the way, you know, Arguably, President Trump, even though he is leading this government, has been egging these protesters on. It's Which is at complete odds with his actual 30-day guidelines that we're in the middle of right now. I mean, the, the whole point of the continuation of what started in March and, and what Fauci and Burks got the president to agree to for this 30-day period of April was extending these social distancing guidelines, extending these mitigation efforts. But we are now... A week into, almost as soon as we turned the calendar to April and the president announced the continuation of this effort, so too did he begin to encourage the notion of of getting the economy back going, of getting the country back to work, encouraging uh, these protests, as you know it out there, which that is at odds with, with this period that the country is supposed to be in right now. Yeah. And and, I mean, if we're looking for intellectual through lines, I mean, Donald Trump is not the place to go for that. But you can certainly see you can feel him shift. You know, he's like at war with himself here, war with his own government, even though he's unwilling to, you know, to, to completely step back from the public health professionals. He's trying to both at the same time demonize Democratic governors uh, and and maybe some Republicans out there. You played Larry Hogan. He's a Republican, although he has been critical of Trump. Trump is trying to demonize governors for doing what his government suggested they do, which is kind of like a political bank shot uh, for the ages, I think, if he can both tap into anger at his own government while continuing to, to, to lead the government. You know, obviously one of the keys, if not... Um the biggest piece of the puzzle here for getting the country back to work, of getting society out of this moment of lockdown is testing so that you can do all the things that all the public health experts say that, you know, once you have the testing, you can identify and isolate people who have the disease. You can protect frontline healthcare workers. You can then start contact tracing and see where uh, the disease is spread. You know, 
I heard Dr. Fauci on uh, ABC's Good Morning America this morning, and he was asked about testing. He was asked about this Harvard Studies Act that suggested we, the United States, may need to be doing three times the amount of testing it's currently doing. And by the way, Fauci seemed to concede that point. This is this is the man on the president's task force who said on television this morning, yeah, we're doing a little over more than a million tests right now, and we may need to do two times or three times that for this to be at full scale. It is, I think, and we're starting to see good reporting. There's a piece at CNN.com today by Sarah Murray and Nick Valencia and some other folks here about the failures at the CDC and within the government with regard to testing in the early days of this, where, you know, there were contaminated elements of tests. And basically the entire process broke down when we needed it most. The government wasn't working with the private sector. It's like this kind of nuclear meltdown that led to a situation where other countries have been able to test. And the United States, which is supposed to have, you know, one of the one of the best healthcare systems, even if you can get access to it, that is. But, you know, we're supposed to do everything better because we're, you know, we do public-private stuff and, and we're just the United States. But we have failed to get people tested in a way that has certainly cost lives. That is, you know, you, you can't dispute that. But now we're, we're kind of flat-footed even as it seems like the curve we're finally getting over the hump in a place like New York. We might see this pop up other places, but even as we start to get over the hump, we we are not in a place where we're going to be able to have large-scale testing so that people can start to go back to work. Because if you don't know who's got it, as the, the experts have told us, you essentially have to assume that everybody's got it, which means that the social distancing at the, in this extreme level that we're doing right now will have to continue until they can start to figure out who has the disease? Well, where is the current breakdown in testing, Zach, is in your understanding? I, Governor Cuomo at his daily briefing today uh, said he really is relying on the federal government in terms of the supply chain side of the testing. Uh, we hear from the federal government, the president and some of his officials on the task force, the vice president, I believe, was saying that anybody, any state who needs to conduct testing, that there is sufficient tests, a sufficient level of tests out there in the country, in the states, for the states to be able to accomplish that phase one of re-entry, which seems to be about testing people who have symptoms and the most vulnerable uh, frontline workers. That's that's in their phase one of their three-phase plan to get America back to work. I, But it seems that the federal government keeps talking about sort of the shipment of tests out to the states, and yet the states are saying, but that's not working out for us because the labs that conduct these tests, the materials needed for the labs to do this work, it's not just getting a test out there. There are many other components in the supply chain that still make the testing in total uh, inadequate at the moment. Where is the breakdown? The, and, and, the, and I think that backlog at the labs of people who have taken a test but don't know the results is uh, is an issue. I was fascinated to read in the New York Times today about how Maryland uh, has essentially gone rogue, gone to South Korea to get its own testing, testing you know capabilities there. So it is not solved. It is something the government has told us that they're working on for over a month now. They have promised millions of tests, but they just haven't come about. And as long as they are so scarce, 
that normal people can't get access to them, it seems impossible that you would ever be able to have the level of testing that some of these other countries, you know, in Germany and South Korea have had in order to start opening society back up again. Right. The president likes to say nobody's conducted more tests than the United States, but it, but it, it is as a percentage that matters. It's not uh, it's not how many you know individual tests have been administered. We've got a country here of three hundred something million people, but it is as a percentage that that we have to keep track of. And um, clearly, we are behind uh, many nations that have had more success with this uh, on that front. But also, you wrote about this notion of the education component. It is hard to see how America gets back to work fully without the education piece of what to do with all the students who are doing at-home remote learning, state after state now announcing that the school year is no more, uh, though not all states have done that yet. Uh, What is that piece here, the education piece, and how does it tie in with the notion of getting the country back to work? I mean, right now, as we speak, I think there was one school I read about in California that was still in, and that was a week ago. I haven't checked. Pretty much every American school kid is not in school right now. So for me, let's just talk about the the Wolf House as an example. I am talking to you from my closet because this is the quietest place in the house. And, you know, it's, it's the only place my three kids can't find me, essentially, if you lock the door and come in here. Now, the, the ideal situation is not for those three kids to be running around in this house without supervision while I talk to you because they, they need people teaching them. Um, and the Zoom education structure that has sort of sprung up in this country is probably at the end of the day, not exactly what we want for our children. Speaking anecdotally, my son, his middle school is doing a pretty good job. When you get younger kids, they they need people watching them. And if I'm watching them, I'm not working. And if I'm not working, then ultimately CNN isn't going to want to pay me. So, you know, these things work together. We pay taxes into the society in order for society to educate our children so that we can all go work. And if it's not, if that part isn't fixed, This whole thing is not going to get fixed. And I think 20 some odd states have said they won't be in school this year. So we're into the summer and then some are already thinking about what they're going to do if if when it comes back next year. And and that's the really frightening thing. Let's say we go back in September. If if there's an outbreak in October or November, are we all just going to stop down again? And I mean, maybe we'll be better prepared, but still, is the country going to be able to sustain that? Are companies going to be willing to have people, you know, go out and not give quite as much so that they can also watch their children? And by the way, it's a huge luxury for me to be able to be home and watching my kids. There are a lot of people out there who are delivering things for Amazon or grocery stores or working in hospitals who can't stay home despite these guidelines. So it's like I feel as though the schools are sort of the bedrock If you don't have somebody that can take care of your kids and not everybody's going to be able to afford a nanny. And then if you're not doing that kind of stuff, then then you have to put them together. They have to be in a non-socially distanced atmosphere. It becomes impossible, I think, to reopen the economy. I just don't see how you would do it. And that's the K through 12 piece. There's also all the university students, obviously, in uh, college education who are back home, some of whom 
are graduating into a completely frozen economy. And so you have an entire uh, class of graduating seniors from college uh, who have no job, realistic job prospects as they leave school, which is, um, you know, a that could be something that has severe impact going forward for this generation, no? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people have written about how these things have lasting impacts like i remember reading some stories about how the the great recession has had a decade we're into a decade long impact on the job prospects of people who graduated from college while that was happening i was talking to a friend of mine whose whose daughter is a college junior she was going to take the uh, sat to try to go to college next year all the tests have been canceled uh, i think through june so they're going to take the act instead well is are they still going to have the act all of these things you know feed upon each other and it's like everybody has been just stuck in place. But the kids out there are essentially everybody's going to go to the next grade level, I'm assuming, uh, without having, you know, gone through all the all the elements of this grade level that they're in. It's a strange situation and I can't get my head around how we fix it if you can't, uh, you know, show that somebody doesn't have the disease. Now, the, the other thing to pay attention to is the idea of once you have it, you don't get reinfected. There were, so, you know, th- there's some evidence that maybe that's not, you know, quite as reliable. So maybe beyond testing, well, definitely beyond testing, we have to have some sort of vaccine for this thing. But, you know, all of these things have to happen in succession in order to get these three lovely children out of my house and make my life easier so that I can go back to work for CNN in a better way. If Jeff Zucker's listening, I'm still trying really hard. But, you know, it, it just I don't see how without that part of it, we get back where we need to be. Zach, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.